Warning. The podcast you are about to experience may contain content that isn't suitable for younger audiences. So, if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Welcome to Villainology, a podcast revolving around our favorite personifications of humanity's darker side, and what truly makes them the scourge of their respective worlds. I am your host, Rob Mobley, and I hope you weren't getting too comfortable with the Disney villains, because today we are jumping to an entirely different universe that's also owned by Disney. Uh, For those of you that are new here, the basic idea is that I present each guest an opportunity to discuss at length someone who is widely considered to be a villain and to offer their own personal insight as to why they find them so intriguing. These opinions are totally subjective, and I find that hearing the thoughts of other people on someone you either love to hate or hate to love helps to better understand these characters as a whole. Our guest today is someone I met a few years ago while we were doing a play at the Orlando Fringe Festival called How to Survive a Wedding with Your Ex where my character rather colorfully proceeded to turn him and almost everyone else present into ravenously enhanced human beings incapable of feeling pain and able to withstand extreme damage with a side effect of complete hyperpsychosis. But zombies were obviously an easier name for them, so we went with that. He's an actor, a comic, a TikToker, and has one hell of a Hawaiian shirt collection, Mr. Justin Musso. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, Rob. Now, you've been working on something rather interesting lately. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, uh, it's a new theatrical experience called The Secret Library. It's sort of a amalgamation of immersive theater, like a Sleep No More, uh, with some elements of an escape room thrown in, some puzzle-solving things, a little bit of a little dash of clue, kind of like mystery. And we're kind of just, you know, trying to do the best with what we can to provide something that would be the closest approximation to theater we can get in this, you know, COVID socially distant era. Surely. I've had the chance of of doing it myself and and I had a great time doing it. There's plenty of comparisons to immersive theater and escape rooms. We had Christian Vernon on last episode who did something very similar with his, um, but yours is an entirely online experience. Now, what separates this from your average escape room experience? Yeah, I think, you know, the the fact that it is entirely online is kind of a, a novel thing. It it brings to mind kind of like, you know, like games like Myst, like kind of, you know, you it's, it's all the fun of an escape room at your fingertips, at your leisure, kind of, you know, it, it, it's convenience in one respect because it's just there at your computer. But I think another big thing that really kind of separates it is that whereas a lot of escape rooms just by their nature are very puzzle driven, like there's, there's story and like to differing degrees, some escape rooms will put the focus on story at certain points. Like usually it'll be like a story, like a plot point, then like two or three puzzles, another plot point, another couple puzzles. And then like, if there's like a bonus round aspect, maybe like an additional thing like that. And it's, more narrative based than a, a, a typical escape room. I mean, there, there's it's a whole story revolving around this sort of pocket dimension called the secret library, 
that is said to house more or less the Akashic Record, the storehouse of all humanity's knowledge, and that in times of great need uh, on Earth, it manifests itself so that Earth can get access to that knowledge and humanity can advance past whatever cataclysm they're currently dealing with, which is, you know, appropriate for our current era. I want to say, just so we're clear, this isn't a real place because... I think we could all actually use this right now if it is. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I can neither confirm nor deny the uh, veracity of the secret library. Um, <laughs> we could, we, we, we may be met, you know, metatextually manifesting it into reality. That'd be fun. Currently it, it, it is, it is a, a theatrical experience, but uh, you know, Hey, who knows what the future may hold. We may actually end up uh, kind of, you know, last action heroing this into existence. First off, what a reference. Thank you. My guy. That's so good. <laughs> You've also been building up a kick-ass TikTok presence. Oh, thank what, you. What first attracted you to that app? Um, well, I, I was initially introduced to it uh, by my fiance Casey. You know, it, it, it started off as sort of that, you know, it just kind of, it's the way that I viewed it, which I think is the way that a lot of people viewed it at first, was like, oh, it's, it's Vine 2.0. It's mm -hmm. like, I could use... You know, a brief break, 15 second, eight second, one minute long videos. And it was like, all right. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to download it. I'll just see what it's about. And like, you know, you start kind of playing around with it. And, you know, after a while, you kind of find a niche. I did, uh, at least. Um, I think what ended up happening was I made a TikTok that ended up in a YouTube compilation of like TikToks that have big vine energy. I think I sent you that, that you compilation did. and it kind mm -hmm. of blew my mind. Yeah, it, it ended up in that, which is what first like I was like, you know, all my videos were getting like 800 views over like a two week period. And then all of a sudden I would wake up and like that one TikTok has like, you know, three, four hundred thousand views. And it's, it's crazy. So, I, you know, I started kind of digging in and being like, okay, so this is like a thing that I can use, not just as a way to like, see like, oh, this is trend, but like also be like, okay, so how can I use this to talk about stuff that I like to talk about? And I think that one of the first things, you know, I, I did a few when uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield came out, I did a, a few videos around that, that garnered kind of, you know, the gaming side of TikTok. And then... I did this series that I, I know I'm not the first person to do a what your favorite blank says about you, <laughs> but I, I decided to start doing it with musicals. And a lot of people latched onto that and were like, yeah, like, this is great. Like, do do this show, do the show. What does this show say about me? So I ended up doing like 12 videos in that series. It was, it was a great series yeah. you had going. And, you know, like, so I, I kind of like fell into theater TikTok on that side of it for a while. And then most recently, the thing that kind of turned up the dial was I made a joke video called Gatekeeper Comics, just yes. making fun of the kind of gatekeepery culture around comic books and everything and that kind of just like shitty nerd attitude. And I put it up and I went to bed and then I woke up the next morning to like messages from my friends who were not like on TikTok. To let me know that like comic book creators on Twitter were sharing the video, <laughs> like, and I was like, what? And like, I checked it out. It was the primarily it was Sam Mags, who is uh, currently a writer on the Captain Marvel comic. Sure. Um, and like through her, uh, you know, Matthew Mercer saw it and commented on it. Like Ippy Inuade, or like, 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 you know, a large portion of the Critical Role people saw it, and so. 
that kind of ratcheted that up as well. So I've, I've been kind of ex expanding the Gatekeeper brand. Uh, at this point, I have done Gatekeeper video, Gatekeeper records. I've done Gatekeeper cards and games. And, you know, and, and like, and then to counterbalance that, I have created a different character, the antithesis of that, uh, that I have dubbed the Keymaster, both because, you know, Gatekeeper, gate, you know, keeps the gate, Keymaster opens the gate, lets people in, and, you know, wants to be inclusive in the fan community, and also because I couldn't resist making a Ghostbusters reference. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, like, you know, whereas the gatekeeper is kind of, you know, the, the darker side of, of the nerd, you know, kind of community, the Keymaster kind of seeks to be more open-minded, more like wanting to include more kind of understanding that like, you know, the kind of adapt or die mentality. And like, we don't, if we, if we only keep the same people in, it stagnates and we don't get any cool new shit. See, so now I, I want kind to of, see a podcast gatekeeper, what that would be. Like. Oh man, that would be brutal. I think, I think, I think that would I think it would be a lot of like talking about like the easy joke. I think to make it make a Joe Rogan joke, but I think really it, it it's just like a lot of like oh I have this idea for a podcast and just like 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 it's like dishing out podcast tropes like narrative podcasts you know real actual play podcasts but like you only play like second you only play first edition D and D because everything after that is doesn't count anything that anything that mentions a wizard as the class is automatically just out the window. Oh yes. I think our listeners at this point are quite ready to hear your pick for this episode. Tell us, Justin Musso, which villain have you chosen? I have chosen a villain that is near and dear to my heart. He is, without a doubt, my favorite Marvel supervillain, and and potentially my favorite supervillain bar none, like end of sentence. He is he is the epitome of like an evil genius, but not a mad doctor evil genius. Somebody who is hell-bent on reshaping the world and even reality in his image. He, 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 does, he is not content to rule everything. He just wants control and he wants to do things right. And that has led from him from anywhere from literally beating the devil to literally becoming God. That would, of course, be the first son of Latveria, the prime regent, Victor von Doom. Dr. Doom is my choice for my favorite villain. Hey. Hey! Dr. Doom, right? You want to apologize to us before you get beaten up or after? Jan, and don't think I've forgotten about you, robot girl. I mean, seriously, do you really think you're going to walk away from this? You think you're the only wannabe world ruler we've taken down? Here's a tip. Putting on a skirt over your second-rate Iron Man armor? Not helping. What, you're too good to talk to me? How does that bad guy that- Miss Van Dyne, I am not some common criminal that can be distracted by your prattling. You are nothing to doom, and your pathetic attempts to play mind games with me amount to exactly less than nothing. So please, stop embarrassing yourself. Uh... Okay. <laughs> the Lord of Latveria. So, you gave us quite an intro to him, but I want you to go in a little more detail. Why Doctor Doom? I think, you know, there's Marvel does a pretty good job of presenting a wide variety in its villains. You know, you, you have your, the standard, like, it's this hero, but kind of the bad version of them. Like, you know, the yellow jacket to your Ant-Man, the Iron Monger or Whiplash to your Iron Man, you know, the Red Skull to your Captain America. But like, 
with Doctor Doom, he is somebody who's just he's like he's like force of will. He's cult of personality. He is somebody who has like been through it all. Doom's credo is adapt or die, because he is not content to just do the one thing. He is not. I need to defeat the Fantastic Four and then I can hang up my cloak and my mask and like be done with it. He, you know, he's a reason why he has become such a, a fearsome opponent of basically every superhero in the Marvel universe at one point in time. It, it's, it's like he, he does things in such a way that is so well thought out. He always has like a plan B, C, D, and E. He always has like a way to turn any scenario in his favor. And, you know, whether that is simply by being like, oh, I also, by the way, I have a magical way out of this besides just a technological way out of this to, hey, uh, joke's on you. You've been dealing with a doom bot this whole time. I haven't even been there. Like, imagine if I'd been there, it would be horrible for you. So I, I, I just I just love him because he's just he's doom. He's like, I know what I'm about. And he hasn't tried to compromise himself. In any way, he hasn't tried to like rebrand himself or you know alter his identity. He is Victor Von Doom, first lord and leader and regent of Latveria, and all will tremble before him. And because of that, he has the ultimate get out of jail free card mm -hmm. with diplomatic immunity. Yes, that's and that's my... what gets them all the time. One of my favorite things about that is uh, if you if you like check any like the Marvel wiki. For uh for Doctor Doom, like they, they they usually run do a rundown of like you know affiliations and like powers and abilities of these characters and like the bottom line underneath his like technopathy and like mystic abilities and you know genius level intellect is diplomatic immunity. It, it it's like the yeah they, they, like you said the ultimate get out of jail free card is like if you want to try and stop me from doing this, you are going to have to start a war with Latveria. And that is not a war that you will win. And I think that led to one of my favorite Marvel arcs, which was Secret War. It was yes. a, it was a little mini series that was done, and it was after he I don't he, he was gone. He wasn't there for some reason. It was Lucia von Bardis who had been running mm -hmm. Latveria at that time, and Nick Fury decided he was going to make this the Shadow Op go and and overthrow Latveria, and it ended up causing a lot of problems because of that. Yep. Yeah, God, that it's just such a fantastic foil to the Avengers and the Fantastic Four and to the yeah, because it, it just opens it up. Him. It's it's not just like a problem you can punch or a problem you can outthink. It is a whole other level of just like you know civil ordinance of just like having to like go through the UN in order to like set up a meeting. Like no other supervillain do you have to like work in a schedule of like approved international intrigue just to like set up being like, Hey, I'm going to punch you in the face. If you do this again, very few people like, like in the universe, the only people he really kind of has any sort of respect for is Namor because he's a royalty, much like he is. He is like a leader of a whole country. So he kind of like gets where he's coming from. And so kind of understands the kind of like, you know, think globally, act locally kind of mentality that doom has. And in regard to being a superhero and like playing the kind of international chess that he does. And it's curious because he, I know he had similar respect for uh, T'Challa, the Black Panther. Yeah. But I think it was also limited to the fact that he did not want to expand Wakanda. He didn't want to 
rule any more than what he already had and he's like you have all of this technology i want it right yeah like the, there 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 is a whole ploy where when uh following house of m i think it was when uh storm and t'challa got married he actually like at, by way of a wedding present he offered them a chance to like a treaty essentially with latveria to enter into like a trade agreement to ally their nations because friggin civil war was happening and so he was like, hey, man, you're going to need all the help you can get because inevitably you're going to have to pick a side and I can help you either sway balance or hold off on having to do that for a while. Even though like technically it ended up kind of being a bit of a ploy on Dr. Doom's part, of course, because he wanted the vibranium in Wakanda because using the magic he knew if he could infuse his armor with uh, vibranium, he would obviously become invincible. He would be unstoppable, which you know very nearly happened but yeah like it's it's he he's he's tried many times to try to get t'challa on his side and it, it has not ever worked because yeah there's much like latveria is sort of isolationist so is wakanda and it's like you mm-hmm. know we, we we have everything we need here we don't need your help now we we've talked about more so than any other villain you know he he's he's quite formidable as an opponent but what makes him in particular more menacing than someone of even greater power of say Loki or Magneto or Thanos. Well, I think again the the thing that that puts him ahead like you know you you can look at him being a a master of the mystic arts which he is. You could look at him, you know, having his political sway that he has or his you know his, the 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 sort of like army and infantry and technology disposal but at the end of the day Doom is just smart. He he is he is able to outthink a lot because he plays a much larger and longer scale game than oh, most. Oh, he's playing five D chess. Yeah, yeah, he's a hundred percent five D. Yeah, he's he's on several levels above and like thinking years ahead of whatever is happening at the moment. I, I think I think that makes him formidable is is the fact that he because he can think about that. He's also you know in a lot of the earlier like through i like i would say like through even the like 2000s like for, he, he's very power hungry and that's the thing about him is that like he will stop at nothing he is very single-minded with his genius that he is you know he is he has managed to at least temporarily steal the powers of the silver surfer the beyonder and galactus before and like briefly held on to them because they ended up being too much for him to contain but he he is like big on just being able to just hijack these cosmic level entities and these powers and you know enforce his will on it and like that's like it's the combination of his genius and his force of will that makes him like a very intimidating opponent to have because he will stop at nothing to get what he wants that reminds me of a great quote by him which is i was once a god I found it beneath me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favorite. One of my favorite all-time things to happen with Doctor Doom was the 2015 Secret Wars event, mm-hmm. um, where he, as, as was previously mentioned, became God. He managed to steal and actually, like, hold on to the Beyonder's power and sway over reality and used it to smash this kind of like the at the time broken marvel multiverse into one coherent universe with him as god and rewrote reality 
like had it so that Sue Storm was his wife, that you know Reed, Reed and Sue's kids were his kids. He forced the Human Torch into being the son of this world at the center of this universe, and forced the Thing into being the wall that kept out those who would try to like do him harm. Like he he That's was so dark. Yeah, he was God, and with with the exception of like a handful of other Marvel characters. Everyone else just went along with, like, yeah, this is the way it's always been. Doom is God. Doom is good. Doom is. Shrek is love. Shrek is life. Yeah, exactly. Like, that, that, that was, that, that is, like, Doom. It is, like, he was, <laughs> he just, he just was God. And he, 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 like, that's the thing. He really did kind of just get bored of it. Like, he, like, other heroes, like, came after him and be like, hey, we're going to undo this. And they managed to undo it. And afterwards, again, they, they had the chance to just, like, kill him. Be like, hey. You rewrote reality in your favor. We have it kind of in our rights to just end you. And it was Reed Richards who was like, no, you know what? I'm going to heal your face and I'm going to send you on your way. We're just going to, we're just going to put, you know, switch back to the regular reality. We're going to drop you back off in Latveria with a fixed face and just go on, just do your thing. And it was, it was after that that he was like, you know what? Yeah. Being a God was like, meh. You know, you, again, there's nowhere to go but down. Like you are, you are, you are. Yeah, the there's alpha. no challenge anymore. Yeah, exactly. There's no, you know, you know, for Alexander Webb, for there were no more lands to be conquered. It was, it was he. There was nothing. There was no challenge for him. And it was after that that he decided that he instead would try his hand at being a hero, because he's like, I, I want to make right. Like I, I, I can admit that not everything I've done has been great, and so I want to try to fix that. Which is when he um, started like helping out some like characters. It's why it's why he it's why he became the third Iron Man after Tony Stark died in Civil War Two. That's right. As a way to try to like make right some of the things he had done wrong. Which an interesting thing for that book, I remember when it came out, Brian Michael Bendis made a point of saying that he, he would not write, unlike in a lot of other comics that you would see, like you know you see you see thought bubbles in comics. To kind of let you know what's going on in a character's head at any given point in time. And he said that he purposely did not write any thought bubbles for Doom for like the first large chunk of that run. Because he didn't want to let anyone know what was going on in, in Vic's head. He was one of like just such brilliant storytelling. Yeah, he's like he's like, I'm not gonna let you in. You just have to watch what is happening and try to divine anything you can out of what he's doing, because that's what doom was trying to do he was trying to do the you know action speak louder than the words like showing i've turned a new leaf and i'm trying to be good and it's it's it was an interesting study in like a world that only saw him as dr doom and refused at that point to let him be anything else other than a villainous despot he was like i'm trying to save you i'm trying to do good and you won't let me do that would you consider his motivations evil or simply misunderstood? No, I, I think a lot of it is evil. Like, I'm not going to, I don't think there's really a lot of beating around the bush on that. Like, he knows. It, it, the, the, the other thing about Doom is that he doesn't care about morality. He doesn't, he's not trying to, like, put on the, you know, Lex Luthor in public, you know, public workspace and then in secret trying to figure out how to kill Superman. He's, he doesn't care to hide who he is. That's why, like, the whole thing with the mask is like that's his face for all intents and purposes because he's like I'm not trying to hide who I am. I'm doing this. A lot of it is power grabby stuff. A lot of it is doing it because it is my will. And then other parts of it are like let him try to figure out why I'm doing this. 
because, you know, like to try to divine my will is beneath me. There have been numerous depictions of doom in film, in television, in video games. Uh, I mean, my personal favorite that I've seen of him was Ultimate Alliance. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that game at all. Oh, yeah. I thought that was the finest adaptation I've ever seen. It, it was, it was, yeah, it was definitely some of the most accurate and tuned closely to, like, the who, who the character of Doom is. There was a point where he was uh, the overseer of this, like, interdimensional council of dooms. Of just like Vic, Vincent Dooms. <laughs> Did he like decided to steal that from Rick Sanchez? No, like 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 Rick. No, no, you don't understand. Rick Sanchez, the Council of Ricks, comes directly from Marvel. There are no fewer than three characters, all involved in the Fantastic Four, who have interdimensional council versions of themselves. Kang is the first one, which makes sense because it, it, it's kind of his whole steez is, you know, di- different versions of himself from different points of different timelines. Um, mm-hmm. But there was this like council of reeds, where I had Reed yeah Richards, I hadn't read that arc, but I knew about yeah, it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Essentially, like Reed Richards decided that the best way to help progress his timeline was to gain access to the knowledge of alternate versions of himself to who had cracked technology that he hadn't yet in his timeline. So that's how he was going to try to like progress things. Of course, the problem with that was that it turned out that the like 616 Reed, who was trying to better mankind, uh, was the only purely altruistic Reed, and all the other ones had their own, you know, prejudices and or just completely lost their moralities. Which Reed, I've always found to be a cold jerk. Oh yeah, he, you, you really kind of have to like have a writer who wants to find the humanity in Reed Richards and who wants to find the benevolent version to have a Reed who isn't just a totally condescending prick. Um, yeah, you, you read him in Civil War and you're like, Sue, why are you with him? Yeah, well, and, He and, doesn't give a shit about you. And like, that's like a big point is like, I think, I think you remember about like Doom's origin is that Doom and Reed were supposed to be college roommates but Victor Von Doom thought Reed Richards was too full of himself. And so he went, I don't want to live with this guy. And so when he created his machine to communicate with the dead, specifically to talk to the spirit of his dead mother, who was a witch and in hell, that Reed tried to point out, you know, oh, you missed a few decimal points on, on, on this formula for it. It's not going to go well. Victor was like, eh, shut up, Reed. What do you know you're talking about? I'm smarter than you. And then the whole thing blew up and, you know, Doctor Doom, um, and how it, it later Gotta came. Love hubris. Yeah, but it later came out that it was Ben Grimm who had sabotaged the machine because he didn't like the way that Victor was treating him. What? So he he like no literally like he 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 like pulled a few levers, like changed a few like inputs, and that was the reason it all happened. Like Ben feels guilty because he created Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom then blames Reed and the Fantastic Four for like all the bad shit in his life for like the first 20 years of him operating as Dr. Doom in the comics. Well, I, I hate to say it, but he ain't wrong. Yeah. And like, that's the thing is it's like, yeah, actually it's still like, like Ben can feel guilty about it, but you know, Ben's got enough shit to deal with. We can cut him a break. It's still kind of Reed's fault because Ben was trying to come to Reed's defense. And like, if, if it weren't for like that, like misguided attempt 
at trying to like show that Reed, like Reed knew what he was talking about. That you know, who knows the like benevolent the, the benefactor that could have been Victor Von Doom. You know, in in the modern age, we never would have had Doctor Doom. Maybe you can help explain this. What I don't understand is how is it that for a villain that is written so specifically and with very defined character traits, how is it that Hollywood keeps screwing him up? I honestly think the problem is in in the three major attempts at making a Fantastic Four movie, they approach it just purely as like Doctor Doom is the foil of Reed Richards. Reed Richards is the hero, as of the Fantastic Four. So you have, you know, bad guy version of Reed Richards. And I I think the problem is that they water down Doom too much. They they set it they don't set him up like Doom is a god tier threat. Like it, 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 even when he's not God, he is, you know, if if Doom shows up and wants to start a fight, it's not gonna end well for you. You can't just, you know, superheat him with Johnny's flame and then have Ben Grimm kick over a fire hydrant and then have Reed turn into like a water slide to like sluice him with water so he freezes up in his armor and mail him back to Latveria. That's not the way Doom operates. It's again, in Victor's own way, it is a privilege if Doctor Doom deems you worthy enough of an actual face-to-face confrontation. Absolutely. If you're not facing just a robotic double of his or one of his other like right-hand generals, if you're actually facing like Doom, there's a reason for that. He let you do that. And I think the reason that they get him wrong is they just they they're afraid of making him too powerful a threat. And I think in a way it's also probably just because they know that they ideally want to have sequels. So you can't just, you know, you, you, you don't want to just have Doom as the main villain in three different movies. Sure. Um, you know, you, you want to expand it. Because, yeah, you know, the Fantastic Four does have a really good rogues gallery of, like, cosmic terror. I think the, the worry in that is that, again, I think the misstep is in just trying to make him another villain instead of making him Doom. And that's that's why it hasn't worked. I've always said that he writes himself. He wears a green tunic mm-hmm. with a even greener cloak yep. with a suit of armor on who not only is a master scientist, but a master sorcerer mm-hmm. and has learned to combine those two things and speaks in the third person. Yeah. Like yeah. he writes himself. Like I, I, as a writer, I feel like that would be such a fun thing to try and tackle and I mean, I've, I've said it to you and I've said it to a few of our mutual friends that for this next phase of the MCU, I would just kill to see Doom as an overarching villain for a phase. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's the thing is like the way in the MCU that you have set up Wakanda as a sovereign nation, as as its own with its own political trappings, you, you, you've kind of gone into the international politics of the Avengers following the events of Age of Ultron, setting up Doom as not just a, you know, supervillain threat, but a political one is an interesting minefield to navigate. Because, uh, you know, the, the second that, you know, Iron Man flies into Latveria and starts opening fire, that's an international incident. 100%. Final thoughts on Doom. Why, out of not only just Marvel, but out of every possible villain you could have chosen, what does he mean to you? I think what he just means is somebody who is not content to rest his sights on one goal, 
and have it be, have there be an end game. He is not just there. I'm I'm going to go out. I'm going to ruin the Avengers, and then I'm going to retire. He has he is never much like Hamilton. He's never satisfied. He <laughs> he has aspirations like out the ass. The crazy thing is, is that objectively he has been good for Latveria for most of the time that he's been the ruler because he genuinely cares about his country and the people living there. And he does want them to have a decent life. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want to rule them under his thumb. He's not there to be a, a dictator to them. He is a, just a leader. He is, he is like no different than a president in any other country. I, I think it's also just it, it's been the fact that when you when you have a character who is as long lived as Doctor Doom is, I mean he's been around for almost you know fifty almost sixty years now, and he's still there. Like it, he he's it's never Victor Von Doom has always been he has always been a part of it because he is just an interesting character to see deal with a lot of things and like especially whenever there is a global or intergalactic crisis, like more often than not, he's gotten pulled into stuff to help with people and he's tried. He got dragged in in the 90s during the whole uh, onslaught event that like, you know, killed almost every major hero in the Marvel Universe. He was one of the few villains who got dragged into that fight because he knew it would affect the world. And like, he kind of, again, you know, you can't rule the world if it's destroyed. During the one day more arc of Spider-Man, when Aunt May was dying and was sick and like he needed help, he called on Doom and like Doom like opened the doors of Latveria so that she could have a place to recuperate where he while he tried to work and like you know make her better. He got brought in to try and help after House of M to fix what was wrong with mutants and bring back the mutant gene and even though he told him he's like it's not my specialty he's like thanks for asking me but i'm not i'm not a geneticist that's the one thing like I, i'm willing to admit that i don't know everything and like genetics isn't my forte but like it's it's kind of just the way that he has been used very well i think as opposed to a lot of villains there has been kind of a push of taking villains and forcing them to be heroic at times even when it's against what they want to do, because they can kind of recognize a sense of the greater good. Like in, in the recent years in like X-Men comics, Magneto has largely stopped being a villain. He's He's been on the side of mutantdom and of Xavier for the better part of coming up on uh, almost a decade. Like he's, Yeah, thereabouts. He's led the X-Men. It, it's, it's interesting to me that while they do, you know, like with infamous Iron Man, they have kind of, you know, let him stretch his legs and trying to do good. I think I think the ultimate thing is the reason why Doctor Doom is my favorite villain is because you cannot just pin him to one particular archetype. He's he's not just a supervillain. He's not just somebody who, oh now he's gonna have a face turn and now he's gonna be a hero. It's he has done everything because he is a multifaceted character. He is he is complex he is you know unknowable at times in, in why he is doing the things he's doing but by and large he's doing it out of some sense of it's the right thing to do whether for himself or for his country or for the world the, the current run he has his own book right now going on there's a dr doom solo book going on right now uh that i recently started and it's very interesting because 
it kicks off where he keeps having these almost hallucinations of an alternate version of himself from the future where he is he's met as a hero as a savior of mankind because he has helped with technology that has ended climate change he's helped with you know world hunger you know they're not quite on world peace but he's at least like helping and he's trying to figure out how he becomes that and like Kang keeps popping in and out out of his own control to kind of and he keeps trying to figure out like what am I doing about this and meanwhile there's this an energy solution for climate change that set up a science facility on the moon where they're trying to use a large hadron collider to create a small black hole to uh, essentially help offset climate change and doom is very vocally against it in part because they did not ask him to be a part of it but largely because he doesn't think that it will end well by having a black hole that close to earth yeah that's that seems a bit logical yeah Uh, (laughs) and then uh the station gets destroyed by a like rogue cell bearing the latvian flag so he becomes you know prime suspect number one that because he launched like there's like missiles of Liberia's at launch that he doesn't have control over and so he then has to kind of go on the run and figure out who is setting him up to take this fall and why while also still trying to figure out how am I supposed to be the savior of mankind when this is the kind of thing I'm having to deal with like these days like people want me to be a villain but I want I want to help but I don't know how well I know what I need to pick up now yeah I, I recommend it it's 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 interesting. Again, like, I think it's issue two or three revisits the fact that uh, Dr. Doom has been to hell several times and kind of walks away each time Scott Free. Like, he is pretty firmly bitch-slapped Mephisto more times than I can count because he's just like, I'm I'm Doom. He's like, I know what I am. I don't, I know, I'm only here because of my own accord. Justin, this has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you want to follow Justin on TikTok, I'm going to leave a link below. I'm going to also leave a link for the Secret Library. Uh, They are taking ticket orders now. If you want to do it, I highly suggest it. It's a super fun time. Thank you to Ross Lampert for composing the theme song to this podcast. He's a brilliant dude, and if you're in the market for any sort of music production needs, head on over to his website at daggerandink.com. And thank you, listener, for carving just a little bit of time out for us today. If you like the show, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Villainology Podcast, and drop us a comment and review us. I, I hate being the guy that says review us because that's weird, but that's how we get good algorithms and whatnot on Apple Podcast stuff. But yeah, drop us a comment. Let us know who you would like to see discussed next. And hopefully we'll see you next time. Stay foolish, mortals. <laughs>